Welcome to Envision from the Inanna Way of Greater Charlottesville and News Radio 98.9 and 1070 AM WINA. With Price Thomas, I'm Robbie Respetto, coming to you right here from downtown Charlottesville. I want to thank our sponsor, Ty Cooper, and Life Marketing and Visuals. And with that, Price. So today we are back in the studio and we've got Robert Gray on the phone, Charlottesville native, old, old friend of mine. We go back at, at, at what is it, 15-ish years now. You guys are so uh, old. Oh, my gosh. Super, super <laughs> old. Uh, and uh, so Rob, currently the executive director of Conscious Capitalist Foundation, a group that he also co-founded. And, um, you know, we had him. We had him in the studio as early as this morning. And then um, we, like most of Charlottesville, ran out of gas. But we got him on the phone here. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So just get us get us started and, and give us a little background. Um, give us the, the sort of the SparkNotes version of, of yourself. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, where you're from and then what you're doing now. Yeah, so uh, my name's Robert Gray. Uh, most people call me Rob. The community calls me Bert. Um, born and raised right here in uh, Mark County. I grew up in the Esmont area. Um, I'm a sports guy, sports girl, three-sport uh, three athlete in high school. My father, and uh, I think most importantly, social entrepreneur. So, talk a little bit about and that, and that is uh, for the you know for the I think Charlotte was one of those one of those places that you've been around long enough. They've they've seen you play or heard the name, and that's how we came into each other's worlds. Was uh was on the on the court. We used to we used to back in our younger days used to used to play ball against each other when both of us could still move. Maybe you can still move. I I most certainly. <laughs> I'd can, like to hear. Cannot. He was a more competitive athlete. I'm curious. So. Yeah, I think we both were. I think that's the best part about sports, right? Is that you come out of it as like for two hours every week, we couldn't be any further apart, right? Like we were not friends when we didn't have to be, right? That's funny. And uh, so I think that was funny even looking back at like 16, 17, 18. I was like, no, I don't want anything to do with that dude because he's, he's in my way. Yeah, well, you're both competitive still. So I'm just curious how that uh, played out on the court. <laughs> it was cordial. Well, I mean... I mean, yeah, so every time we played against each other, or just every time Monticello played against Almar AHS, we lost. We know I don't think we ever beat uh, Almar High School in basketball, but um, we it was it was a good matchup. Price was like one of the you know premier guards, and the you know what you guys weren't in the Jefferson District, but um, but he was like you know one of the top guards in in the Central Virginia region. Wow. Area and, uh, See, I never know about I think, his, his sports <laughs> prowess. I, I find yeah. out from other men how amazing he was. Yeah, Price was Price was uh, <laughs> one of the better guards I played against. Um, I think I was pretty I was pretty good at that time. I think I was like a sophomore in mm-hmm. Virginia, like you know when we first started playing against one another, and uh, it was just a you know it was a good matchup. It was a good we we always uh, we always gave the people a show. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, and, and that's cool, man. And so then, you know, now as we've we're both adults or, or at least pretending to be adults, more or less in my case, um, you know, and then we got linked up again, obviously, with your work with with CCF. So talk about what you're what you're doing now and, and, and a little bit of the uh, the broad strokes of how you got into that and the type of work that you're doing locally. Oh, man. So uh, so the Conscious Capitalist Foundation, uh, we work primarily with with youth who fall along the school to prison pipeline spectrum. Most of these, most of these youth are in detention centers, um, alternative school settings. I guess they're deemed moderate to high risk. So, kind of like our work is stabilization and connecting them to the resources that they need um, in order to be successful. And so, we have a curriculum um, that focuses on uh, better decision making. Uh, we we go through trauma and pain. 
Uh, we teach financial literacy, but we put a, a, a emphasis and a focus on social entrepreneurship. So essentially teaching youth how to identify a problem that they see in their neighborhood and their community um, and create a business model around that issue to address the issue. And so right now we're currently working at the Blue Ridge Detention Center where we're having, like, the kids we work with um, build out social enterprises to mm-hmm. address a lot of the, the gun violence uh, they've been seeing in their neighborhood. So, Rob, I'm curious, like, what made you want to be first an entrepreneur yourself, start your own uh, nonprofit, and, and really work the way you have over the past several years since I've known you? to expand the footprint of your nonprofit and, and get the word out in our community about like what's happening with our youth? Uh, I, so first and foremost, I've been working with youth for the past 10 years um, in some capacity. I started off back in, what was that, 2011 at the Boys and Girls Club. So, you know, doing a lot of recreational stuff with the Boys and Girls Club, um, coaching basketball, also, I was also a coach at um, Buford Middle School. I coached the freshman boys basketball team at, at CHS. So I've always had like a, um, a I, I, I guess the youth have always had like a special place in my heart. Um, uh, in terms of entrepreneurship, you know, so I'll try to speed this up, but, you know, I was in college, you know, uh, as a political science major, got my degree in political science or whatever, graduated. I was doing like a, um, an internship at the North Carolina General Assembly um, down in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I went to school. And a couple of my friends started a, a, a Basso Trade sneaker boutique, and they wanted me to basically be a co-owner of, of the store. And so at the time, you know, I had just graduated. I was kind of like in my, you know, walking in my career path. And I just took a leap of faith, ended up coming back to Charlottesville, starting starting this uh, business and you know it was there I learned you know what entrepreneurship comes entrepreneurship so basically I was able to you know actually you know I was basically able to take ownership over my life through yeah. entrepreneurship and I just love the freedom that came with it mm-hmm. so that was kind of like my quest to entrepreneurship and how I you know became essentially became passionate about entrepreneurship if you're just joining us, you're listening to Envision from Radio 98.9, 1070 AM, WINA. Uh, big thanks to our, our friend, your friend too, Rob, friend of the program, the one and only Ty Cooper, Life View Marketing and Visuals. We're here with Rob Gray uh, talking a little bit about his work here in Charlottesville with the Conscious Capitalist Foundation. It, do you think that being from town, how, how has that uh, you know, affected the work that you guys are doing here or the, or the type of work that you're doing? I guess the question is, does growing up here, do you think, helps or hurts you? And I say that because I'm sure a lot of people you run into, and it happens to me too, only know you as a kid or only knew you as an athlete or only knew you as, you know, a, a certain in a certain sort of season of your life. And now as an adult, as an entrepreneur, as a father, I mean, has that, do you think it's hindered or do you think it's actually helped what you've been able to push forward uh, in your work? I think it's helped, you know, just having, you know, having um, a certain reputation in the community, you know, as an athlete, um, I played basketball, football in high school. A lot of people know me, or a lot of people knew me from high school. Um, and then going to college, that kind of like expanded my network. Mm. And so, you know, it just provides a certain level of, I guess, like trust. Like people, people know you, they trust you, they know you're from, um, they know you're from here. Um, and I have like a deep connection 
to, you know, a lot of the people in the communities in which we serve, which creates a, a certain level of empathy. And so I'm able to kind of like understand, you know, what people are going through on a day-to-day basis. You know, I come from Edmont, which is, you know, not the, you know, it's not the worst area, but it's not the best area mm-hmm. either in terms of resources. Um, so, you know, it's an under-resourced area. So I know what it's like to, you know, grow up in kind of like a poor, a poor working class neighborhood where people are just like struggling, you know, living paycheck to paycheck to get by. So it's, like I said, it provides like a certain level of empathy and understanding. Hey, Rob, at one point you told me, you know, that you basically grew up poor, but like you didn't know you were poor, right? You still had a life rich in friends and, and just, um, you know, a great childhood. But but can you talk a little bit about the youth you serve, the black youth you serve in particular, and some of the challenges they're facing when they're waking, you know, growing up in poverty and, and don't necessarily have certain opportunities? Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of these kids, you know, they they got the, you know, bad end of the stick. They, um, they come from broken homes, broken neighborhoods. You know, they're born into generational poverty, intergenerational poverty. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of times they, they can't control, like we can't control what we're born into, right? And so um, what we try to stress to them is, you know, just try to focus on, you know, what you, we, we, which is why we kind of like focus on entrepreneurship. You know, we teach them to kind of like use entrepreneurship and use what they're passionate about as a vehicle to, to essentially escape a lot of these toxic neighborhoods and, and toxic uh, situations they find themselves in. Do you how so how do you help somebody create a bigger vision for their for their life when they haven't necessarily been shown examples of what their life can be? Um I think they I think they do have examples if they if they, you know, search deep enough, they look hard enough, they do have examples around them of people um in which we try to like we we, we don't focus on people that aren't scalable, somebody like a Jay Z, but there are people in your neighborhood or, you know, family members in your neighborhood that have been through similar situations as you that can kind of, like, give you a blueprint on how to escape, again, some of these toxic uh, situations um, they find themselves in. Um, For us, our model, we use credible messengers, which are, you know, Mm -hmm. formerly incarcerated individuals or just individuals with lived experience. And so someone such as myself who comes from, like, a, you know, impoverished background, you know, I'm a first-generation college student. Uh, or college graduate, uh, and I have four other siblings, four other older siblings who I know were, you know, smarter than me. Um, I was just able to create a niche um, in sports and basketball, um, and that kind of, like, helped me um, escape, you know, escape, uh, I guess, like, failure, in a sense. Well, the, the trap of generational poverty, right? Right. Yeah. This is Envision from the United Way of Greater Charlottesville News Radio 98.9 and 1070 WINA. So we are back with Envision from United Way of Greater Charlottesville News Radio 98.9, 1070 AM WINA with Robbie Respeto. This is Price Thomas. We're talking this morning to Rob Gray, executive or executive director of Conscious Capitalist Foundation. And like yours truly, a Seville native. So we, when we when we left off, we, you had mentioned and you had, had broached the subject of, of a credible messenger. Can you go a step back to go forward and just give the brief definition of what that is? And then we're going to unpack that a little bit and some of the challenges faced. 
taste and uh, and making that really the foundation of your work. Yeah, so Credible Messenger is just an individual with a, a lived experience. Um, this individual could be, in some instances, uh, formerly incarcerated. And so working with youth who fall along the school to pipeline, uh, pipeline spectrum, it's just easier to establish a you know connection with a lot of the youth because the first question they ask is, like, what, is, what have you been through? Hmm. You know, how, how can I relate to you if you haven't really been through what I'm going through? And so um, that just strengthens the connection um, and allows us to do the work at a higher level. So here's here's the big question, and, I th- and, and someone's going to stat check me, but I think it's the statistic is over over our lifetime, one in three black males will end up incarcerated. So between me, you, and let's call it your partner, Derek, who we also know who we grew up with, one of us will be incarcerated at some time. Okay, and then you map that out and say, okay, these are the best people from a representation standpoint to speak to these children. But can you talk a little bit about some of the, the bureaucratic hurdles you've had to get over in essentially bringing those people to children, to schools, to places where these kids are? Right, I mean... We, I mean, we know we grew up in a society that kind of like marginalizes, marginalizes black people in general, but black men, more so black men in specific. Mm-hmm. And so um, I want to say, I want to go out on the limb to say, you know, you know, 90% of crimes um, committed by black men are nonviolent. Mm. And so we've had a situation where, you know, we wanted to go inside of the school system and work with some of the youth inside of the school system. But then, but then again, this, this whole, um, this whole barrier, mm-hmm. there's a barrier for entry into the school system for um, for, uh, for, for felons, um, if we're being quite frank. And so that kind of like affected our work because we weren't able to, you know, get in and, and, and run the program at some of the, you know, some of the different schools we, we envisioned. Um, but then we just kind of like pivoted towards um, doing most of our work in detention centers and um, we're actually slated to, to go inside of the youth correctional facility, um, Bon Air in, in Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. So uh, the argument could be could be made maybe cogently, right? And, and I think this is where it gets interesting, and this is why we're going to have to have you back, because I hear the argument of, well, I don't want someone with a record around my kid, right? And you're a dad, I'm a dad, Robbie, you're a mom. Like, you understand what that feels like from a parental standpoint, but... What's, right. But the next step is very obvious. It's exactly what you just said, right? If your record is a nonviolent offense and even things that are now being legalized and profited from, right? That you what all you've just done is created a massive racial chasm and opportunity, right? So is that let me ask you this. Are you in your group, you and Derek, gonna try and fight that fight? Is that something that you guys think that you can impact, right? Not not only the kids who are already in the detention centers, but is there a, is there a, a part of this business where you're like, look, we gotta find a way to, to break through there and maybe, you know, shut that pipeline off a little further up. Yeah, we're actually looking to get into um, policy reform. So um, there are three policies we're looking at uh, essentially attacking. One, you know, stopping youth from being sent to adult facilities. Um, the other one is um, ending solitary confinement for, for youth in detention centers because there's, like, a study that shows, like, how solitary confinement and separation affects brain uh, cognitive mm-hmm. development and um, brain development. So, um, but then finally which is the most important one, uh, just diverting youth out of the system mm. entirely. Um, we know that, you know, community organizations, youth, youth are better, they rehab, uh, rehabilitate better in the community. So we don't, want, we don't want our youth in the system at all because 
Um, there's also a study that shows where, you know, once a youth um, enters the system, um, they, they never come out of the system. Hmm. They end up being, hmm. you know, career criminals. So they penetrate deeply or deeper into the system. And so we don't want that. Um, and so those are some of the, you know, issues and the policies we're and looking at attacking. But then I think, like you just uh, alluded to, there's this bigger conversation around removing the SROs out of the school system mm-hmm. and replacing them with um, essentially credible messengers, mm. people who can relate to them. Just think about, like, Mark County Public School growing up, I rarely seen black men that mm. I can kind of relate to. Mm-hmm. And so that had an effect on um, my, my academic success. Mm. Can you talk a little about, bit about, so based on that, so what is the average age of, of the kids that we're seeing in these detention centers? Like how old are kids when they're in these detention centers in the state of Virginia? Um, the state of Virginia, actually, um, you can be in a detention center um, as young as the age of 12. Mm. So they have twelve-year-olds in So these truly are yeah. children, right? These are kids. Yeah, and, so, and the examples, right, that they're getting in the detention center, to your point, are not the examples that we want them to have as they're going through the sort of critical transition of being a teenager. Right. I, I had like a, a eye opener. Like, so we visited a, um, a, a youth correctional facility in D.C., and we got the, you know, we got got the chance to kind of like walk walk the yard. Um, that's what they call it, walk the yard. And I just like, you know, while doing our tour, I ended up um, in like isolation and I got a chance to connect with a kid. And I, I just looked, I looked him in his eyes and he just looked dazed. Like, mm. like he didn't even know, you know, what tomorrow was. He didn't, he didn't, you could just tell he didn't even know what day it was. And I just looked him in his, like we locked eyes and he just looked, completely broken mm. like mm-hmm. you could just see like that there's no hope for him and you know he's sad to say he's going to the penitentiary mm-hmm. because think about you know the the valuable time that these kids are losing you know this is you know adult they're in adolescence they're growing they're learning you know who they are they're not they're not out you know, they're not out in society they need to be learning in school developing you know skill set mm-hmm. um, and they're not able to contribute to society when they're locked up so um, hey, Rob when you look at these kids are are we what, what color what color are these kids predominantly they're black and brown I want to say two-thirds of the uh, detention center population or you or youth in confinement are uh, black and brown two-thirds yeah, two thirds. So I want I want wow. that to resound for everybody for a moment. So that would to suggest that two thirds of our youth population in detention centers are somehow behaving in such a manner that they have to be detained, right? That that that's that's profound if we unpack that for a moment. Just that 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 statement you just made. Well, well I, I, no. yeah. Well, I think it's like you said, it's systems and structures, right? Like, like we don't get the benefit of boys will be boys, right? Because we're dangerous from the point <laughs> at which we are, you know, old enough to do that. You know what I'm saying? So I think part of it and part of the, the challenge that you're facing and that we've all faced is, is understanding the burden of that, right? And I know you're, you, you've had the talk, I've had the talk, right? And I think that's, that's a real thing, right? You know, and I, and, and I wonder uh, how much you reflect on that as a dad, right? Does that affect the way you, you think about 
how you bring up your kid, right? And, and when do you have that talk and how much of that do you give them? Yeah, maybe maybe guys unpack what the talk is. And I, I heard a dad say that he had that talk with his son as young as a four-year-old uh, about, you know, don't run in public spaces, keep your head down. Just that, that talk that will hopefully protect them so they can just make it to adulthood. You might share what that is all about. Yeah, I know for me, you know, so, so my mom, her brother, her brother uh, is currently, my uncle is currently doing uh, 25 years in the state penitentiary for a murder. And so he has about like a year and a half left on the sentence. And um, so I was raised with the notion. So I understood the, the prison system as a, as a young boy. Mm. And I understood the pipeline and I understood poverty and, and what poverty produces. And so my mom, you know, growing up, she was extremely tough on me because she didn't want me to fall in those same footsteps as my uncle's. Uh, as my uncle and, and some of my cousins, like I'd say 90% of um, my male cousins on my mom's side, you know, at some time, at, at some point in their life, mm-hmm. did at least five years in the penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is like, I have over like seven or eight male cousins on my mom's side. And so what that did for her was, you know, um, made her tough on me. I vividly remember, you know, going to visit my uncle and my mom is I have like one of the strongest moms you know alive like she's like very strong very intelligent but um I've never seen really my mom cry mm. and so this one instance I remember going to visit my uncle and this is literally like the only she she went to hug him and I was probably like 10 years old um she went to she went to hug him and she like broke down crying like you know fell to her knees crying and that was like the first time I seen my mom cry. Mm-hmm. I was scared, scared of my mom. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the first time I ever seen her cry, and she was just like, like weak. She couldn't, you know, she couldn't move. And I'm, I didn't understand what it was. And this is literally like at a maximum level five penitentiary in front mm-hmm. of like a bunch of, you know, hardened criminals. And mm-hmm. I'm just there like watching this, and I'm just like, man. Like, mm-hmm. So, you know, that was, you know, my that was like an awakening for me. And so I always knew, like, you know, you know, the severity of, I knew what prison was. I knew, you know, if you do certain things and you get caught, you do bad things, you get caught, you go to prison. But then I also understood that there's a different um, law book for black and brown people mm-hmm. than it is for our white counterparts. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's it's a familiar refrain. The way I yeah, raised my son. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a different kind of pressure. Um, so with that, Rob, we're gonna we're gonna head out. We'll thank you for your time. Uh, if you guys have ideas for the show, want to get in touch with us, check us out on social media at United Way Seville. Drop us a note. We've got a, a mailbox open for you. Envision at UnitedWaySeville.org. If you're interested in more of what Rob and Derek are up to and the great work they're doing in town, check out the Conscious Capitalist Foundation on social media, CCG Foundation Inc. And uh, what's your what's the uh, the URL? It's CCGFoundation.org. Is that right? ConsciousCapitalistFoundation.org. ConsciousCapitalistFoundation.org. Thanks again. Thanks, Rob. To old friend. Great to have you. Man about town, Rob Gray. Uh, for Robbie Respetto, I'm Price Thomas. We'll see you guys next week.